Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sean Gentilly here with the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Folks will never believe this. No customs. Max Pullman is in his place. Maxi, hey buddy, how you doing? Doing good. <laughs> Your mic sounds better than it did for our interview with Greg Cronin. I got to tell you that much. I might uh, have left the ceiling fan on for that. <laughs> Classic. Our guest this week, aside from not being Greg Cousins, who's out for again whatever nebulous reasons is new Ducks coach Greg Cronin. He was an he was a, an AHL coach with Colorado for years, NHL assistant for a long time in the 90s, 2000s, head coach in Northeastern. He's had an, a really interesting road to his current gig. Uh, Max, I'd never spoken to Greg Cronin before, but I was all in after talking to him for, for 20 minutes. That was a blast. I was very fascinated to hear the way he talked about his vision for Trevor Zegras. He is not going to lean all the way into the human highlight reel. He is going to push Trevor Zegras hard, it sounds like. Uh, that mm-hmm. was one of my most fascinating takeaways from it. Uh, he was a really good interview, interview in general. He's he's one of those coveted uh, kind of speakers in our profession, Sean, mm-hmm. who talks and anecdotes and memories. And it makes for a great listen. So I, I, I think people will enjoy that. I mean, the most important thing was that I got to completely steal your joke that you it's a complete bullshit. Deigned to, or uh, no, not deigned. 
you chickened mm-hmm. out of making to Marty yeah, Walsh. Yeah, yeah, this is a cowardly move. It's okay. That's fine. And, it's, you can say. and so just getting to steal it right in front of you was a highlight of my week. Greg Cronin, one of the great Boston accents in the game, is now in a position of prominence. That needs to be said. But also, it's it's a good interview, not just for Ducks fans, not just for people who care about Trevor Zegers or Troy Terry, because those guys came up. I think Cronin spoke well about a lot of different things, including the way coaches incorporate analytics into their job in 2023 versus like 2017, which I think is, is an important distinction. And yeah, dude just came up, told some good stories. We had a, we had a nice time. That's, we'll say probably 15 minutes away. In the meantime, we do have some news we need to hit. Uh, the Ottawa sends sales uh, sale odyssey. I, I think it's I think it's over. I think it's over as of Tuesday morning. Bruce Garriac, uh from the Ottawa Sun was the first to report that a group led by Toronto billionaire Michael Andlauer has won the bidding war. That guy's going to be the new owner of the Sens. The bid, according to Garriac, is almost a billion, not quite a billion. Michael Andlauer. Uh, as he will be known for the foreseeable future to hockey fans out of Ottawa, is not Ryan Reynolds and not Snoop Dogg and not the guy who is bidding a billion dollars for the team. So it is, uh, but it, it seems like it's a it's a welcome end of the process. The Melnick uh, the Melnick sisters are going to retain ten percent in that deal, according to according to Gary Ock's report. And I think the biggest takeaway is that it's over. I mean, we'd heard all sorts of stuff over the last couple of weeks. Some of it reported, some of it not. Um, some of it, you know, said in the, oh, oh by the way, way that insiders sort, sort of report things where they allude to stuff, but don't actually say it about what it, about what a train wreck it was. And I'm sure at some point soon, you know, we'll, we'll have the details on it, but the point now is that it's over. And I think it needed to be over for Sense fans because it was starting to get to that point where, you know, Max, where um, I, I don't know if people were starting to get nervous, but I can imagine it happening, like not not far down the line where it's like, okay, what is happening? Why is this taking so long? And what's the end result going to be? It was starting to come up in conversations around like Alex Debrinkit and what mm-hmm. is he going to do in his future? I'm, I'm not sure that this necessarily like maybe if you're the senators, you're certainly hoping that this is going to pave the way to solve that. I'm not sold that it totally does, but when it's coming up in those contexts, you know, it has to get done right now. Uh, it did. Uh, I, but I, your first point, Sean, I think is, is going to be one of the big ones is it's, it's, it's not like this like big flashy name that's going to generate, news cycles or whatever. And my question is like, how much do we think that matters? Because I'm sure the league would have loved the publicity that comes with Ryan Reynolds or Snoop Dogg. And, and that's not just a one week cycle thing. That's like a welcome to Wrexham kind of deal. But mm-hmm. is there a value to, to just like a, a lower profile owner who's not going to be the most recognizable person in the arena on a given night? It's a safe bet, you know. That sounds like this is a, a well structured bid that gets them that can get them close to the billion dollar valuation, which is important. And I think that's something that the league values greatly, understandably, because you want to be able to say like, it doesn't sound like it's going to get it there just yet necess- necessarily. But 
franchises are on the road to having billion dollar valuations. That's important to the league. It's important to public, you know, public perception. Now, the other question, and this is something we talked to Marty Walsh about, is when you have it's great to have valuations that that are, you know, hit the big number, right? It's a positive thing. Everything took a jump up whenever Fenway Sports Group bought the Pittsburgh Penguins in late 2021. That was like the big kind of level up where you get out of that 550, 600 million dollar range and really get, you know, start start getting towards the <laughs> towards the uh, two comma club to quote a very old Silicon Valley reference. Um, but revenues aren't there. They're not climbing in accordance with franchise valuation. And that is the problem to me. Like I, I, we can sit here and, you know, talk about how great it would be for the league to have the big number, to have a franchise that publicly confirmed was sold for a billion dollars or more. But if, you know, but if the, the the flip side of the coin is like even with the escrow paying down debt elements of the of 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 everything you know the the revenues haven't followed haven't followed suit and that is the sort of thing that makes you look and say okay well is that that's the mindset that leads to taking the safe you know or preferring the safe nine or or conducting business in a way that leads to the Michael Anlauer nine hundred fifty million dollar like solid unspectacular bid versus making sure that you know a, a, a the world's most famous carnival barker and ryan reynolds you know is part of it too it's it's safety versus versus innovation and it's 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 uh it's risk versus reward and i think that's the sort of thing that maybe will help franchise valuations tick up but not positively move the needle on, on on revenue stuff, and I think that's I think we saw that play out in a very real way with the Sens sale. I just think about you know the way we found out about the the Penn sale, and it felt like just you woke up one morning and Fenway was the new owners of the Penguins. Yep. And this like like it's almost funny to be to have any kind of reaction about like who the new owner is when in almost any if Ryan Reynolds was never involved, if Snoop Dogg no, was never care. involved. I mean, I, I guess the Melnick death it is what sp- sparks this, but we don't find out like, oh, the Andlauer bid one or the Kimmel bid one. We just found out, oh, the senator sold. This is the new guy. You've never heard of him. Don't worry. Right. Right. Like, but because of the way the saga played out, people might have a take on this. And that's what gives this whole thing like the hint of kind of like a missed opportunity, right? Is because we know what the other options were. Um, and the other thing too is because it was such a public thing and you go back to March or whatever at the GM at the GM's meetings when me and Russo and a bunch of other dorks stood in front of Gary and asked, you know, okay, what's the update on the send sale? And he wasn't, he didn't say that it was happening, that it wasn't going to, that it was going to get sewn up the next day or anything, but he was like, looking good. There's a couple of weeks where we're going to enter, enter the next phase and whatever. So we had those kind of signposts that were put up by the league to say that this was going to be done before June 13th or whatever. So I think that's part of the reason this was covered the way that it was. The fact that it's a Canadian team is undeniable, you know, it's it's uh it's you can't you can't separate that from the overall process because 
those things are just paid more attention to in, in Canadian media centers. And there was, you know, basically a public bidding war for it. Whereas with the Penguins, it was it was uh, Lemieux and Ron Burkle moving in silence and finding a partner and keeping it quiet and also dealing with Fenway sports groups who knows what they're doing when it comes to that sort of stuff. This is not their first, this is not their first radio. They didn't have to have the, you know, the brokerage process with the, with the Galliotis group and all that stuff like, uh, like, like Ottawa did. So it, it has been funny to watch this, watch this situation play out. I'm glad it's over because it was starting to get uh, obnoxious, honestly. And it was hampering business for the Ottawa centers, which is like, sort of the, like, like you said, Maxie, like that's the tipping point, right? Where, and who knows if the damage isn't, isn't done. With Alex to bring it, who or if it w- or if that's even whoever. like the driving factor, but but it's been brought up, right? Like it's it's a perception is reality thing at that point, you know, a hundred percent. But like, is Pierre Dorian going to be the GM? What happens to the coach? What happens with it with an RFA like like to bring it? What goes on with Connor Hellebuck, who is connected to the to the Sens, just like he's connected with any team that yep. that uh that you know, needs a any team like that that needs a goaltender. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's table that. We're going to talk about Debrinkit. We're going to talk about Hellebuck. We're going to talk about the trade board. In the meantime, we want to get to the other bit of news that's happened in the last couple of days, which is that Ryan Hushka is the new coach of the Calgary Flames. Places Daryl Sutter, who was uh, fired after a disaster of a season in Calgary. And also hired after a pretty lengthy process, it feels like, to, to replace him, where you're, you're interviewing in-house candidates. Uh, Mitch Love, the, a- the AHL coach of the year, was, was, certainly, was certainly one of those. And, uh, and it comes in the wake of Craig Conroy taking over for Bradtree Living, who stepped down as GM of the Flames um, early in the offseason. Obviously, he's resurfaced in Toronto. So there's been a lot of, a lot of upheaval in Calgary. Sounds like their new brain trust moving forward is set with Conroy and, and Hushka, both of whom it should be noted are in-house guys, are Flames guys, are, are guys who've been in that organization for a long time. In Craig, in Craig Conroy's case, a really, really long time. Haley and I interviewed him on the on the Friday show feed a couple weeks ago. If that interests you. Uh, but Max, I know you have some thoughts on Mitch Love. He's he's a guy who, who you've who you've paid some attention to. He's a guy who, who we all know is the you know, again two time. Two-time reigning HL coach of the year has a, had a lot of success there. He's 38 years old, and he just lost out on the top job in the organization that you know that has been his home for well a few years. And now. I, I think it all ties back to the to the Craig Conroy hire, right? Because when you talk when you talk about hiring your longtime assistant GM for the big chair here, like the, the logically consistent thing for him to do then is something like this, right? You promote whether it was Hushka or Mitch Love. I think one of those two guys, like you're. Your sales pitch is probably something to the effect of, I know this organization inside and out. I've been here. You know me, right? And then you, I think if you turn around and do an external hire when you have multiple good candidates inside, that would be kind of strange. So I think something like this was always the outcome. I was just very interested to see whether it would be Hushkar Mitch Love. I don't know that I have a real opinion on this because I don't know either of them like inside the, the, the room as coaches kind of thing. But when I saw that it wasn't Mitch Love, my thought was, well, it's going to be really hard to keep a guy. And that's that- also a very interesting name to hit the to hit the coaching market, whether it's as an NHL assistant, whether he ends up, you know, involved with another AHL team, or if he returns to Calgary, which, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> if I were him, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I, that would be, that would be a tough, tough pill to swallow. 
I mean, you think of it from this standpoint, like someone explained this to me once, like, okay, when you're like deciding to take a job or not, like what is the, he's already hit, I mean, he could win a championship, but that's mm-hmm. it. That's the only way he can improve on being AHL coach of the year in both of his AHL seasons in that organization. So if he stays, how is he supposed to get like more helium there? Unless, I mean, it's winning a championship, but you only have so much control over that in the AHL. You only have the control is what, you know, the GM is going to put in front of you. What is not going to get called up to the NHL. Uh-huh. That Calgary is a team that could call up a lot of that talent in the, in the coming years. Totally. And also so, how does he, how does he push himself? Like if you're Ryan Hushka, you're saying like, how, I, how do I need to, how do I get better as a coach? Mitch Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or Mitch Love, excuse me. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a tough, it's a tough situation. I do know that, I do know that Hushka was uh, the original succession plan for Daryl Sutter you know, which was in place a couple years ago, the thought was always that it would be Hushka or, or possibly Kirk Muller to take over for Daryl whenever his contract was up. Obviously, it didn't happen. And, and it makes that, sense. Yeah. It does. It Of course it does. And that speaks to, you know, that speaks to how highly the organization thought of Hushka was that two years ago, you know, it was like, okay, this is probably the way it's going to go. And all those guys, all those, all those... <laughs> All those guys in the organization who thought highly of them probably still work there, and and, and one of them s- certainly was Craig Conroy. So that's a tough hole to dig out of if, if you're Mitch if you're Mitch Love, even you know, even when you're winning, uh, when 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 in when in uh, Coach of the Year awards and stuff. It makes me respect Craig Conroy a lot because he totally. he sticks to a guy who you know he's seen develop and he knows is in line for something like this and. You know, it's if they do end up losing Mitch Love from the organization from this, like it's going to be a hot button decision and 100%. ultimately his first one. But it does make me respect him as a leader. Like, I think we all want to work for a boss who, even when someone new comes in who's good, who's follows you know, through 38 on, years old, yeah, yeah, it follows through on the on the plan and and sticks with sticks with you know, sticks with the, with the people that he knows and sticks with the people that got him that got him there. Like, like he threw in with with, with Ryan Hushka to some extent and. No, no, here he is. Yeah, I'm not. We're not surprised to see Craig Conroy do something like that. He's got the rep is one of the nicest dudes in the league for a reason. And again, me and Haley talked to him uh, a couple weeks ago. It was a great talk. Okay, we do want to talk about Connor Hellebuck, who, in some regards, I guess <laughs> I was going to say he's this season's Matthew Kachuk because he told his team that, uh, yeah, I'm not going to sign it. I'm not going to sign an extension here. You guys, maybe figure something out. Pierre-Luc Dubois is this year's Matthew Kachuk. And <laughs> the problem for the Winnipeg Jets is uh, both those guys play for their team, which is uh, not great. But Hellebuck officially is on the market now. And that's kind of a really, it's an interesting bit of business. It's something that, you know, I don't think necessarily surprised folks, but it is a good talking point for us. And it, it is uh, I all told, it's it's better for the Jets because they were never going to do this themselves. It's time for them to <laughs> someone else needs to tear the bandaid off for them. If that's Connor, if that's Connor Hellebuck and Pierre Luc Dubois, then great. But it needed to be somebody. So now it's time to talk about landing spots for Connor Hellebuck, which we have been for a while. I know Shana wrote something a week or two ago that outlined you know teams that would make sense uh, for him. Maxie, you have a favorite in the clubhouse, and you have a specific deal. And I'm a big fan of it. I was so floating this to everyone. Yeah, where does where does Max combine. where does Max Boltman where does uh, Max Boltman agent for Connor Hellebuck land his boy? 
I want him in Buffalo. Hell yes. Maybe it was just because I was physically in Buffalo as this came out. But <laughs> I think that probably had something to do with it, yeah. <laughs> you know me, Sean. I can, I, I, I'm like a dog. I can only see what's directly in front of me. Uh, is that dog? Sitting, no, what animal is that? <laughs> you're sitting, you're sitting at, at Mother's or one of those great late night restaurants in Buffalo and thinking, yeah, it'll be great if Connor Hellbuck ended up here. <laughs> what animal is it that can only see forward? Cows? Pigs? Cows? I think it's cows. <laughs> okay. Horse? Yeah, I'm a cow. Not horses? I don't know. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a veterinarian Max. Actually we were at, we were at, so have you been to the Southern Tier in Buffalo? Yes. Yeah, so that it's like has that those gigantic TVs, right? So we're sitting there watching the cup final game and talking about it and I was just, I'm, I'm trying to sell people on on that and uh uh yeah, so I I think in addition to the obvious team fit, right? Buffalo now has this prime age Tage Thompson, Rasmus Dahlin is in his like can win a Norris mm-hmm. era. Owen Power and Dylan Cousins within the next year or two, I think, are maybe not quite the level of either of those two guys, but not that far behind. Mm-hmm. Um, all of Winnipeg's young recent picks within the next couple of years should be really good, in- including Yuri Kulich, who had an amazing year in the AHL. They're just missing that goalie. And it might be Devin Levi, but why not take a guy who has been a slam dunk top five goalie in the league? Bring him into your organization. I get that whatever the contract and whether he will sign the extension is probably the deciding factor here. Mm-hmm. But because of how deep Buffalo is, they can afford to make a, an offer that I don't think many other teams can afford to make for Connor Hellbuck. And it, my suggestion would be they should trade Matt Savoy, who played his WHL hockey in Winnipeg, and Uka Pekalukanen, a goalie prospect who I think many teams would be not super eager to part with, but they can because they already have Levi and are trading for Connor Hellebuck. Okay, so well, let me interrupt you there. Uko Pekalukan, and there's still some bloom on the rose for him because I thought he was pretty rough at times last year. I know he's, I know he's young. I know he's, he's physically he's, he's there, but is he still like from from what you can tell? Is he still uh, well regard well well regarded to to that point? I don't know, but I know he's 24 and mm-hmm. it happens for goalies at different times. You know, mm-hmm. like I agree with you. The numbers this year were not that great, but he's still young enough that I don't, you know, like we saw with like Billy Huso and Alex and Delkovich. Like it just takes some of these guys till they're 25, 26. And uh, maybe, I, maybe I didn't give the best sales pitch by throwing those as the two names, but I think you're talking about is like the secondary pieces, like, and we'll give you a goalie too. You're talking about a mm-hmm. top 10 pick in Savoy, right? Like, and you just don't have room for Lukanen if, if you're Buffalo and you're trading for someone like Hellebuck. So you give up a goalie that I think, you know, a goalie pick in the top two rounds is not supposed to be easy to get before he's, you know, free agency age. So, and the player, the player has leverage here. You know, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to do to say like, Hey, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to come back next year. So work something out with the, with a year left rather than walking them up to the, up to midnight, 2024 and pulling the trigger that way the only problem is if you're buffalo you can't do you can't give up savoy if you don't think you can sign him beyond the year so that's it right you know that's the they tough all, they part. Always, here's the thing though they always know they always yeah. know and that's somehow some way <laughs> and that's where the extra year is going to be helpful is that here here's what i'll say connor hellebuck because this this Almost never happens. We saw it last year with with Kachuk play out this way. In the age of the sign and trade in the NHL, which it seems it seems like that's what we're at least for the time being, we saw it with we saw it with Damon Severson, you know, where 
it, it, it just happened last week. It, hap- it happened with Kachuk. We're not going to see these guys give teams extra runway and give them the extra year and have a trade facilitated and have them end up somewhere where they don't sign uh, for the, whether it's eight, whatever, where the big extension doesn't come. I'd be stunned if that's, if, if that wasn't part of it. And I think in a way that makes it tougher for the Buffalo Sabres because you have to account for Devin Levi for, even though he's only 21 years old and, and all that stuff. If you sign Connor Hellebuck for seven years or eight years, are you willing to lock yourself? Does it turn into whatever Bobrovsky part two, right? Cause I, I mean, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to damn Hellebuck with faint praise because I know that deal was bad the moment it was signed, but it'd, it'd be interesting if, if you lock yourself into Hellebuck for that, for that long when you have a guy who's that good coming down the pipeline. Sean, the Bobrovsky deal might be the best case scenario of an eight year. He has them in the cup final with only like I know. three years left on that I love thing. it. I love it. We said that me and, me and Craig said that to Shannon last week last week because she was like, oh, it's, it's, it would still be a bad We're like, nope, it's good. If they win, if they win a cup, it's good. Like, it, it is good if they win a cup, but I, I, I don't even mean it like just like, like actually it's good. I mean it as like it can be so much worse. Like, oh, 100%. Like, like we're seeing the, the good version of a play out and the good version is like, you know, I mean, yeah. he's been amazing. So I'm not even going to try to diminish that. But he wasn't the starter for game one or for sure. early. Yeah. But all those guys who, yeah, <laughs> whatever, we're way off track here. But it's worth noting that all these guys who are supposed to take over for Bobrovsky for one reason or another, it hasn't worked out. It's, Chris Drieger is is in Seattle where he was terrible. And, and after that, pretty seriously injured. He's got leg issues that, you know, cost him, cost him last season. Spencer Knight, you know, still plenty of time for him for him to write the ship, but he's struggled, you know, across the board. You know, all the best to him with with uh, the time he spent in the in the player assistance program last year. But like, it, it's a it's a testament, you know, it, it, was it was it Alex Lyon? Was it, is it like all these guys who people were eager to turn the keys over to Bobrovsky for one reason or another, kind of haven't kind of haven't worked out so including te- Devin Levi including Devin Levi very 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 interesting all right the, and the other teams I mean the the other you know uh, teams who are in on Hellebuck or you would think would be in on Hellebuck they're 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 who you'd expect right it's New Jersey who needs a goalie it's Pittsburgh who's old and needs a goalie the Senators who we mentioned so it's going to be fun. I'm glad this is happening. I'm glad we're in the era of of the uh, NHL sign and trade because for a sport where so few players, so few premium players typically make it to UFA, it's an added wrinkle. It's an added thing to talk about. And it's an added variable to consider when, when we're watching the offseason. It makes it a lot more fun. So if this happens a couple times moving forward, a couple times a year moving forward, maybe... Not every single one will involve the Winnipeg Jets moving forward, but uh, I'm excited about it. Max, we're going to move on. We're going to move on to an interview with Greg Cronin, who, as we said, was great. New head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. We caught up with him when he's on the road. He's driving from Denver back to Boston, which is something he's done pretty regularly. But this time it's different he's stopping and he's meeting Troy Terry and he's meeting Trevor Zegers eventually and he's meeting you know guys on his new team along the road so 
Enjoy our talk with Greg. We're going to come back and finish up with the only good segment on the show. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. All right, we are thrilled to bring in new Anaheim Ducks coach Greg Cronin, who is joining us from a hotel room. You've been on a you've been on a little bit of an odyssey since you got the job. Let's let's walk let's walk through that. Where where are you right now? So I'm in New York. I'm actually at a friend's house. I had uh, it's crazy. I was in in California and I met Pat and the owners on like a Thursday night. I don't even know what the date was there. And then we had uh, the announcement went on a Monday, and then uh, I flew back Tuesday. And I packed all my stuff up Wednesday morning and then started my drive east. I always do this. I always drive my car mm-hmm. from Boston to Colorado and then back. I enjoy it, actually. It's a beautiful country. There's different landscapes. Good time to think and catch up on phone calls and stuff. So I just changed my my schedule from there's a little bit more leisurely then to trying to target the players that I wanted to meet going across. So I started with Troy Terry, then hit Fowler and Jones. And then over to um, Ontario, I got actually, uh, there was, it was weird. It didn't even hit the news. There was a bomb threat at the Port Hope Sarnia bridge there. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. And literally 10 miles a car, like, like a parking lot. We were sitting there. People were in lawn chairs. It happened at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So it was an hour and a half before there was even anything moving through the border there. Oh, hell, man. It was bizarre. But anyways, I managed to get Brock Nelson before before I um, stopped in Toronto to get uh, the Toronto guys. And I'm going to hit Zegris and um, and uh, Frankie Petrano over the next few days. What's what's the reception been like? I mean, what, what have those meetings been? I assume you're, you're kind of trying to get to know each other, build a little foundation for the relationship. Yeah, you know, like hockey's very clannish, right? So they know and they hear the news and then they call guys that might have played for me and knew me and – I, I had Stromy in New York like nine years ago. He was a kid back then. So he was kind of the, he was kind of the, like the nerve center for the guys calling people like, what's this guy all about? And, you know, I, I, Sam Carrick had played in San Diego against my teams and he knew players. And then we had Magna there that they took him off at waivers in December and he was my captain for a couple of years. So they did their, their information gathering and, you know, and I did mine. So I tried to do a little homework on them so I could, I, I understand what they're, what their core identity was. And then I, um, 
I just wanted to get them to talk, not a, not about, you know, individually, like what happened. It's not a blame game at that point. It's trying to get their understanding of what what happened last year, which was a rough year for the organization, and what what they were going to do to to provide and live in a solution over the next year. So what are some of the, what are some of, some of the shared threads there? Like, do you, have you gotten a good sense of, you know, what those guys are looking for, the step they're, they're kind of trying to make collectively? Cause you know, you're trying, I'm sure you're trying to find common, you know, kind of commonalities there, but between the guys you're talking to. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of took attention away. Like I've been in these, they're dumpster fires, right? Like I had them in New York. Uh, my first year in the NHL was 98. I was like 34 years old. And that's the some of the older you guys probably don't remember, but there was Ziggy Palfy, Richie Pilon, uh, Gino Ojic, Trevor Linden, an old group, and uh, it wasn't working at, at the trade deadline. So Mike pitched them all out, and we just got draft picks and young kids for them. And everybody knows that's a tough. It's a tough. I mean, I don't want. I don't want. I don't like get into the whole thing. Well, it's okay to play crappy because you've been depleted. I don't buy that. Like that's just my DNA. And um, but I've been in those things. And, and as a coach, you're trying to keep the train on the tracks, but it's teetering and it's outweighing your ability psychologically and mentally and emotionally to keep it there. And it just it just spins out of control. And then, you know, you're hoping to find some diamonds in the rough when that chaos hits. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to find that that diamond in the rough in these guys when they share to me what happened and that's what I did. And I, at the end of the day, make it real short. Mm-hmm. They all want to win like everybody does. And they all want to have a, a, a clear role definition and how they're going to be a solution to that. When you were talking with Pat about the job, was that something in your background that you felt like, you know, you mesh with him on that kind of ability to take, you know, to take groups out of, out of bad situations like that and kind of help them take the next step, you know, towards, towards doing something a, a little bit more productive. Yeah, like not like it's weird. Like my, you know, I'm doing this for 36 mm-hmm. years, right? And every you're never really completely prepared for what comes down the pike when you take a job. But my my history has been kind of filled with some adversity. Like when I got my opportunity to be a head coach, it was at the University of Maine. And at the time, Maine was humming along like we were ripping off 30 wins, one of the dynasties in college hockey. Sean Walsh got put in timeout because of NCAA violations. So that was a real adverse situation that we were able to overcome, keep it on the rails. And then that team that I coached that had a bunch of walk-ons won a national championship three years later. Then starting the U.S. national program in 96, 97, that was not what it is today. That was a very radical approach to U.S. hockey. There was a lot of people throwing stones at us because they thought it was counterproductive to how they were running USA hockey with it's a regionally based organization. So it's a pyramid flipped upside down, mm-hmm. right? So those base level people, they want say. So when we're pulling their players out of that base, they were frustrated with it. Financially it was always wrestling to get budget enhancements to create the vision that we wanted to create it. So that was kind of tricky. And then the Islanders and then and Northeastern was a complete bankrupt program when I got there. And I go on and on. So mm-hmm. I've just been, it's in, it's been in my, my DNA as a coach. And I think Pat and I were real comfortable sharing those ideas. So just to double down on that, that program idea there, like, would you have ever guessed that the program would have been, did you see it becoming what it is today? Or what, what has it been like for you to follow the, the growth of that program? Well, none of us saw it become what it was today when we designed it. Like even these kids that played in it, there's about six guys for the Ducks that played in it. Yep. 
I don't know, there's got to be a couple hundred guys in the league that played it. But that first year, people remember this, my team was the 1980 birth dates and we played in the OHL. And that was an experiment to get our guys a taste of the OHL without losing their eligibility, their amateur status. So the OHL caught on to that pretty quick and squashed it, right? So, but at the time, it was it was an incredibly challenging um, endeavor. And I thought it would be, I thought the credibility of it with the players going on to play college and then going to the NHL would continue to build and reinforce what that vision was 25 years ago. Um, today, what it does, I, I guess it does exceed what I thought it would be. Because when you see the first rounders and you see like every year, it's like six to 10 guys coming from that, that program. It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And the skill levels, I mean, obviously that, that's, that's you're going to find some of the most skilled players in the draft out of that team every year. One of those is now going to be uh, on your roster. What excites you about coaching Trevor and what's kind of your vision for what he can become? Well, he's an enormously talented kid, um, you know, and I, I, like I said uh, a number of times, it was it was hard to see for me. Like, if you're going to be talented, you got to play three zones. Like, you got to be responsible away from the puck. And his highlights are all offensive: the the toe drag and the flip to the net. All that stuff is really attractive to watch. I know the media loves it, the fans love it, and that's what you think about him when you when you hear his name. So. I don't know him well enough. I'm going to, I'm going to meet him in the next couple of days. His teammates genuinely like him. He's a popular kid. I think our challenge is, is get him to play a three zone game and be responsible away from the puck. And ultimately it's easy to coach guys to their strengths. The the nitty work comes in when you got to talk to the kid about where he's weak and how much does he want to invest his time in that space of his game. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to him about that. You already had your talk with Troy Terry. You said you said you hit, hit him up on on the tour already. Um, what is it about his game that you're trying to coax coax more out of? Because I know he's. We've talked to him. Everybody who talks to him, I feel like comes comes away pretty impressed with the conversations they that they have with with Troy. But you know, what's the next step for him and uh, and and you know you and him and, and your time together. So um, Troy actually is best friends with a guy that I coached with the Eagles, Logan O'Connor. So again, we're both gathering information about one another. And I, and I always say, "Hey, you coach the person, not the player, right?" So I want to know what this what this person's like. Like, how does he respond to coaching? Does he like tough coaching? Is he more like he wants a little bit more of a a measured coaching practice relationship? So I, I asked Logan about him, and he said he's a great kid. He wants to be great, which is music to a coach's ear. He's very coachable. Again, that that's more music to your to your coach's ears. And um, I, what I did, guys, is I watched four full games before I sat down with Pat the second interview, because I watched the game the way I would watch my own team play. Because I have standards and systems and strategy and detail that I see real regularly in the way I coach. And it's obviously visible when you watch a game. So I was trying to see if that would work with these guys. And fortunately for me, I spent 12 years across three decades coaching in the NHL. So I know the NHL league. I know the players. But when you actually talk to the individual about these things, there are certain triggers that you're going to come across when you talk about the game that are either going to force the guy to do a little self-reflection or to continue to reinforce his confidence, right? So if you were to create a mapping, you know, strategy with with uh, with Terry, he hit every marker mm -hmm. that when I asked him questions about what he wanted to be, how was he going to do it, how did he feel the team could help him get better, and what coaching he responded to. 
And I can only say, and I'm watching the tape, this kid's, I think he's going to be a great player. I think he's going to, in the right environment, when he gets surrounded by the right people, his game is going to, I think, rise to a pointy game plus in the NHL. I'm really excited to coach him. I really like him as a person, and I think he's going to take on more of a leadership role as well. You talked about kind of the how many years of experience of the NHL you had. But I'm, I'm curious, you know, as, as the years went by, was there any part of you that worried that the, the call wasn't going to come for, for the head job behind an NHL bench? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the biggest poison in, in, on the planet is comparison, right? When you start comparing, like, well, why is this guy getting a job and I'm not? Now, did I fall into that? Yeah, like, there's a great, there's a great expression I've heard that resentment is hoping somebody fails, right, and gets poisoned, but you're the one that's swallowing the poison, right? And I, I didn't want to fall into that trap. And um, I, I've always been kind of, you know, I'm human, right? So I bitch and I complain, why me? And I always, I tell them to play. It's like I'm carrying the flag around, I'm getting screwed flag. And I might spend five or six seconds in that space and then I zap mm-hmm. it, right? Stay in your lane, do your job, and you'll get rewarded. And I think that I've tried to follow that route and um, and stay in that route. And I think that's why I, I've been successful as a coach and I got rewarded. What do you think you gained out of you know, all the time in the AHL and we, we see teams hire out of very different, you know, places today, but what is the, the benefit do you think that you bring out after coming directly from the, the league that's so connected to the NHL? Well, it's interesting. It's a great question because I, I went from college, which is a totally different game in terms of being a head coach. You're more of a CEO. Mm-hmm. You actually spend less time dealing with the players in college than you do in pro. It sounds kind of, you know, ironic, but it's true because you're dealing with study halls, you're dealing with academic supervision you're dealing with scholarships dealing with recruiting ncaa databases like it's like you're sitting behind a desk the whole day right so uh that was a great experience in terms of time management but then going seven straight years in the nhl with the maple leafs and the islanders got me kind of rebooted into the nhl world after being out of it for like six years right so the best thing i did and i didn't want to do it guys like the NHL is blessed, right? Charted flight, shrimp cocktail, nice hotels. Like you got, like it's a blessed life, right? Like who wouldn't want to be a part of that life, right? And then you go to the AHL and it's like blue and collar. Back on bus. Oh, <laughs> exactly. The buses, the airports, like DIA. I kiss that place goodbye. I, I, Denver International Airport is like the worst place to travel in, right? Christ, you got to be in shape. It's like a mile. It's its own area code, I feel like, man. It <laughs> is. It is. And then, so, like that, just, and then we have to fly everywhere. But, but uh, when I, when Joe and C Mac and, and Craig Billington presented me with the opportunity, I had, I had gone through that humble exercise of calling people for jobs and not even getting calls back, right? I thought I was second best coach mm. on the planet, right? After Scotty Bowman. <laughs> and nobody's calling me back. I'm like, what's going on here? Like nobody would call me. So I figured uh, you know, with Joe and, and C Mac and Craig off me the job, uh, I do it. And it's the best thing I did. Why? Because I got to learn how to coach a different generation of hockey. I don't know what these guys are called now. Are they Gen X, Gen Z, the millennial guys are gone now, I think. <laughs> so now we got these new guys coming in. And they got and they do this all day, right? They got these things going all day. So I see the top of their heads. So the first thing I said is get rid of those goddamn phones. <laughs> We're gonna go face to face here. So it was a really good opportunity for me just to 
just to coach guys at a different level that maybe I, I hadn't been doing a decade before. You know, you mentioned Chris McFarlane. I want to ask about him specifically because you work with him so closely, you know, in, in your in your time with the Avs. Uh, he's a name a, a lot of fans here pretty like pretty often over over the last couple of years. What is it like working with him and uh, what what kind of stuff does he bring to the table as a as a as a boss, as a collaborator? Like what's what's his what's his superpower there? Well, you think about it. So you got to, you know, like I tell players all the time and, and, and managers, right? You, your history gets you to a certain point, the intersections between getting a job and not getting a job, right? So he took a unique route to get here. And you don't just sever that when you arrive, right? Like I can't take away what I did 36 years ago and, and arrive in Anaheim with a clean slate, right? So C-Mac took a different route. You know, he went through the league first went through Columbus, really got married to the analytics, which became more and more popular as we moved to the modern era mm -hmm. of sports, right? So he, I think that was his kind of, his identity was he was an analyzer, right? And then he was real thorough scouting. So he became really reliable in a scouting position. So Joe Sackick sees his value and brings him on. Joe is more of a organic, intuitive guy that's played a ton of hockey. He's been around in his whole life. He says a little, but it means a lot. Joe's that type of guy. And C-Mac actually has a good balance between what he shares for information and how he's going to react to mm -hmm. it. Okay, there are guys that are super quiet, and then they just decisive. I think C-Mac is very balanced guy. Um, the route he took here uh, to be a GM, I think, has benefited him from an analytical perspective and an evaluation perspective. He's, uh, he's a real... Um, calm guy when he's evaluating he's uh, like a raccoon in a garbage can in the press box but though <laughs> <laughs> he gets really into the game because that and that's for me is a reflection of his passion like he wants to win he's a competitive guy and i know he's got some challenges managing the cap and and you know landy's injury is gonna you know it's gonna be an interesting one to manage but i have a lot of faith that he'll come through did you take anything away from the analytics portion of that? Like anything that you, as you go forward here, like, okay, that is a piece that I'd like to to maintain. Obviously you're not going to find many guys as savvy with it as, as Chris going forward, but. No, you know what helped me? Cause he's got his, his group with him. Like Eric um, is a great, Eric Panras is an awesome assistant with him. What we do is, so here's where I think it's awesome. Okay. So when the Island is, we had it back in 2014, Frank Gardner was kind of the godfather of analytics and he was, he was working with these Russian guys who were engineering how it was going to work and how it was going to populate into a, a meaningful database, right? So I would say, like like technology, right? What what they were doing analytically twelve years ago was prehistoric mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. So now the the modern models, which to me I find very useful. So hey, hey how do I want to play? I want to attack. It's in my DNA. It's fearlessness. It's attacking. It's puck pursuit. It's puck possession. It's killing cycles. So you're spending less time in the D zone, right? So how can I evaluate analytics in a way that's going to reinforce that behavior? So they've, they, it's evolved now really well. So like I can call Eric and say, I want, I want the analytics from the last 10 games. Cause if there's trends that are slipping, like our four check recoveries, right? Are starting to slip and i've got to revisit why that's happening what's happening in the neutral zone that's stalling that why is our offensive zone starting to slip i want to look at that so it gives me an opportunity to identify where there's potential cracks in the system and i can and i can actually look into that specific event and we're already we're always watching it anyways as coaches but it just allows me to share that with the players because there's an expression i use it's really logical what gets emphasized gets done 
So there's so many things going on in a hockey game, right? It's not football. So what gets emphasized gets done. And then I, I dial into that with the team when I get the information back. I think a lot of people don't realize like how much, you know, you mentioned like uh, like puck pursuit and stuff like that. That's that's stuff that can be quantified now that, that maybe 10, 12 years ago, that's it was it was a little bit tougher. And I, I think I think people struggle to struggle to understand that. This isn't just like counting shot attempts anymore. Like there's there's a there's a whole lot of stuff that guys like Eric you know, track and and uh, and 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 disseminate down to you guys, right? That next level of stuff versus what we saw, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, I think the biggest change in analytics is like, I and it's just they would know way more how this is calculated. But back 10, 12 years ago, there was a kind of satellite. It was like a drone was kind of watching the game. It was just seeing where shots were coming mm-hmm. from. It's the root of the analytics comes from shots, mm-hmm. right? So now it's evolved into quality of shots and then the lateral movement before the shot. So when you when you really fine tune it like that, you know, it's pretty accurate because the players, they sometimes will poo poo it because well, it's, so it's a computer based thing. But when you explain it to them and it's not punishment, it's empowerment, right? They will actually be more tolerant of it. Absolutely. And it sounds less like computer shit now, pretty much, right? Where you can explain, it's easier yeah. to explain it to them in a more, in a more yeah. X's and O's uh, kind of fashion, even though the info kind of comes from, comes from, this comes from a similar place. Yeah. Greg, I want to ask you, when you get hired at this time of the year and everyone started to focus on, on the draft, I know you've got, you know, enough context, certainly at the, at the college level and all that, that I'm sure you could form pretty quick opinions on guys, but do you, is that something you're looking to do? Or are you just trying to stay out of it and maybe sit in on the meetings? Do you want to weigh in on, on the, you know, the, the high pick you guys have? No, Mike Milbury told me something 25 years ago, coach is coach and managers manage. Mind your, mind your own business. Okay. So, unless Pat asked mm-hmm. me something and I'm, I'm, I'm like intimately familiar with it. I don't get my nose in there. Those guys work their rear ends off scouting games, researching players like that the the draft for them is the super bowl i mean think about we talked about dia mm-hmm. think about those guys all the airports they go through all the sacrifices they make to watch players and it's not a perfect science so i give them a huge credit and pat puts his team together and, and he feels real confident they're gonna come up with a player that's gonna mesh with how he wants to rebuild the organization so it's all up to them that's great Greg, awesome. thanks for taking some time out. I, I know the I know the world tour continues. You're heading heading over to Boston to talk to some of those guys next, right? That's that's where that's where you're headed after yeah. after all this. Yeah, yeah. You're not from Boston, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a native. No, never. I, ha- I had a good guess. I had a good guess. Never would something about the parking lot line that might have been a little bit of a tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it, Greg. Thanks again, man. I appreciate the time. Best of luck next season, and uh, we'll catch up down the road, yeah. huh? Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Max, you said it in the first segment, but I'm glad to have Greg Cronin <laughs> around in the NHL head coach uh, fraternity because he's he, he's going to be a good one. He seems like he's he's going to be a, a reliable quilt on a lot of different things, and he's connected to a lot of different players. So we can dial him up or hit one of his press conferences if we need if we need to talk about guys on the ABS or whatever. He's he's got a wealth of experience, and I think he's uh, happy to share, it, which is always great to see. Yeah, that is always one of the big decisions when you're leaving a morning skate. It's like, do I stay for the other, other coach uh-huh. presser? Greg Cronin, Greg Cronin's going to be uh, an instant yes on that for me. Love it. Going to move on 
only good segment on the show. We're going to talk about, do a little, uh, do a little cup final talk to. Why not? There's a hockey game tonight, supposedly. We'll do that when we come back. This is the only good segment on the show. It's when we go into the comment section and use you folks, you find folks for free labor. We appreciate it. Oh, your takes are better than Craig's. I'll tell you that much. I can say that without fear of reprisal since he's not around. Do you think he listens? Very strong man. No, he doesn't listen. No. Well, I take that back, honestly. It seems, he says that he doesn't, but never really know. You never really know. I feel like he would maybe keep tabs on us, honestly. He wanted to talk to Greg Cronin, so he, he missed he missed out on that. Um, Again, for anybody who doesn't know, Athletic App, tap on listen, screw around until you find it. 19 comments today. That's good. On our interview with Marty Walsh, which again was one of the more serious ones I feel like that we've ever, that we've ever done. That goes for Craig too. He he goofs it up as well. It's not just it's not just me. I think people I think people have a little there's a little bit too much of a perception that I'm like the silly one and he's not. Yeah, it's I, not I, necessarily true. Especially like in that wheelhouse. That's that's all SG wheelhouse talking about, you know, major labor issues. I think that's a hundred percent. Like, uh, like I'm, I, I had to like, I was at a four out of 10 to like talk, talking about that shit, about that stuff with, with Marty too. We could have really gone into, we could have no, gone into, we could have gone into some theory, let's say. And I, and I, I don't, I don't think anybody would have been well served by, by that necessarily. Listening to it. It's like, Sean has played out. What, what, what am I going to ask the director of the, the head of this uh, NHL labor union in his head before he's maybe had a Nathan Fielder style rehearsal of this. It's possible. You never know. <laughs> All right. We, before we get in the questions, we need, we do need to at least give some lip service of the fact that there is, uh, that the cup is in the building in Vegas tonight. I just briefly forgot where this game was being played. Uh, Max, does Vegas get this done tonight? Is is tonight? Is tonight the night? I think so. Especially, think it you is. know, obviously, you like you always like to see a team win at home. But I also think they have enough guys who have, you know, for as much as like, okay, yeah, the Jack Eichels they haven't had this moment yet. Mm-hmm. Alex Petrangelo has, and I think Mark Stone's been, you know, through the battles enough that he's not going to be phased. Marcus Carlson. They saw this go the other way before, mm-hmm. but they they know what this is like. They're going to be okay. I mean, for whatever it's worth, Kachuk is a game time decision still, as of Tuesday morning. Ugh, like, how seriously do we have to take that? I don't know, but you know, does he have some Willis Reed moment and add that to the stack of wild shit we've seen from him in this postseason? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it does feel like it's over. If it does, if it does end tonight, if it's an unremarkable, say. 4-2 Vegas win where nothing, you know, materially changes. Do you have a Conn Smythe pick? Who is your who is your guy thus far? I think it's between Eichel and Marcheseau. I'm inclined to go with the center. Marcheseau's had the goals. Eichel's had the assists. I like my like I feel the pull towards Marcheseau, and I feel like that's just me being, you know, a prisoner, a prisoner of the big goals because we know how good Jack has been. We know how good he's how you how how, especially early on, I think that's a big part of it. I think you know there's recency bias when it comes to the con. 
you know, where we forget maybe how good Eichel was at times against Edmonton and in, in, uh, in Winnipeg. The best story is Eichel gets the Conn Smythe, Marchessault so gets the Cup second. That splits the difference, right? I think so. I think so. I and I think and I think Marchessault so gets Cup second, regardless of of whether of whether he wins the Cup or not, because that dude is. I feel like he's emerged. You know, I think people have kind of. This is what happens when teams go on long playoff runs: is storylines, you know, coagulate, or, and um, and consensus is built. I think on reputations and public perceptions, and I think what we've seen with Jonathan Marchessault over the last you know few weeks is he's like missed. He's like Mister Golden Knight. Like he's the guy. He's the fa- like Eichel checks so many boxes and he's compelling for so many reasons. But in terms of what in terms of what players, individual players have met have meant to that franchise over the last five years, it's it's uh it's March so. He's the dude. Okay. On to the comments. William S. Please tell me why I'm wrong. I don't give a shit if the cap goes up. Aside from deals with term that were signed based on expectation over achievement. Those will look great if they continue being like Tage and Caulfield. Those guys look great if they continue being 35, 45 goal guys. And if the cap goes up, what, sure. But for most contracts, they're signing based on what they've done, not what they will do for the length of term. <clears throat> so why do I give a shit if player X makes 12 million a year or 318 million a year if it's, effect- if it's effectively just Y percent of Z, of Z dollar salary cap? I, I mean, <laughs> We can't make you care about that stuff, right? If if it doesn't, if it doesn't, if if the uh, if if revenue if revenue shares don't don't mean that much to you, then that's fine. It's your prerogative. But I think a healthy game where players are paid uh, commensurate with their worth and, and and all that is is good is good for everybody. Just like just like high just like high high franchise valuations are are good are good for everybody. It's just something. That, it's just something to talk about too, <laughs> like roster building and, and and all that stuff. That's that's why we, if you don't care about how like who makes what and what players end up where, then you know that's fine. But that's also a big part of the sport, and that's a big part of the discussion of the sport. So I, I don't I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Well, you, uh, from a grow the game standpoint, do you want your generational player making the same as an NBA sixth man or less? You know, like from a, I'm not saying that hockey parents decide to enroll their kid in hockey be specifically because they think it's going to get them rich or that, you know, parents from, you know, who are just truly open-minded are like, oh, which sport can my kid make the most money in or whatever. But I, I do think when a kid is deciding to, to specialize at various points in his life, if he has some kind of advisor, like, I don't know, you'd probably advise your kid to play baseball over hockey if he's equally good at the two, right? I mean, I don't know. Totally. And then the other thing too is like it, it, it. This furthers kind of what I said before. Say next year we have a cap, we have a cap spike, and they do it all at once, and there's no smoothing. But the both sides agree to for next offseason to jump the cap by nine million dollars or, or or whatever. That makes for crazy player movement. It changes the calculus across the board. We saw it happen in the NBA whenever they signed a new broadcast deal. Uh, about 10 years ago. And the end, the end result of that was Timofey Mozgov signing a max deal with the Lakers. All sorts of goofy shit happened. And it was fun. It was fun. It was fun and compelling. And it was, 
It was uh, it was impactful and relevant and wreaked havoc. Those that stuff is important. And also in terms of if you're talking about, you know, the cap going up, that affects how it just affects planning, right? <laughs> like teams teams need to be able to plan for, you know, be able to reliably plan for here's where we think the cap's going to be in five years. So, so this is how much money we give player X. I, I don't know. I if, if if you don't care, we can't make you. But it's also a rel- just a, it's a huge it's a huge deal. So sorry, William S. If that's not if that's not the answer you were looking for, Corey E. Hi, Craig and Sean. Corey didn't realize that. Craig again forcing Max into duty on a Tuesday morning. Pop culture question. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody wants that. Pop culture question. Did you watch I Think You Should Leave and do you have a top five skit opinion? I know you are a, you are a big Tim Robinson guy. You are a big yeah. I think you can leave guy. Uh yeah, let's let's limit it to this season because I think we actually maybe someone else asked this again as well. Let's let's go season three, which came out last week or uh, two weeks ago actually. <sighs> I mean, the drive through one is very good. Um, I did like the pseudo bachelor zip line. That's, one. that's, that's my pick. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you off there because I, whatever. That's an episode one sketch. I watched it and was laughing a lot, a lot the first time I saw it. My girlfriend was in the other room. So I told her and she was like, basically pissed at me because I'd started because I started watching it when she was over like cooking dinner or something. So I was like, all right, I'll restart it. And whenever she came over and I restarted it, what killed me in what took the zipline sketch number one, you know, with a bullet for me on, on the season is in the credit sequence for the fake bachelor show where, where it's like, who gets the rose or whatever. He's in the background of all those shots riding the zip line where you see him like off in the distance, you know, <laughs> student spins and stuff on the zip line. And I saw that and I saw that 30 seconds after I watched it the first time and, and lost it. Like I was like, okay, this is like the second sketch on of the, of the season or whatever. It's a tough, tough one to beat. That is a, a quintessential, like watch the skits two or three times show <laughs> because they, they are so intricate. And part of the whole you know, brand of comedy is mm-hmm. you, you're going to spend at least a minute, minute and a half of, of every sketch, which are not super long sketches, figuring out like, so what is the deal with this one? Yeah. What's the, and, what's the hook here? But once you know, right, like, like my, one of my favorite Tim Robinson sketches of all time is the one from the, uh, the, the characters, the Sammy Paradise, uh, mm-hmm. Lady Luck sketch. <laughs> I mean, you go, every time you go back and watch that, like you, you don't understand what's happening the first time you see it because you're figuring it out. But the little lines he says to all the people in the casino are just tens, like all around. He's amazing. <laughs> Detroit legend, by the way. And so I was, I was setting you up to talk about that, dude. I know we were, we were kind of both trying to talk to him during whenever we had nothing to write about from 2020 to 2022. I think both of us were angling to find a way to get Tim Robinson you know, I know. on, I was the, on the athletic in one capacity. It didn't happen. Get his takes on Detroit sports, but uh, that's all right. It's a great show. It's fine. Uh, we've been talking about pharmacies on the show <laughs> a lot. I heard reason. that. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't uh, heard of any of those, by the way. That you mentioned. So there's a, a pretty robust discussion about pharmacies in the comments. Gen, Gen F uh, basically schooled Craig and was like, because Craig's like, all pharmacies are the same. Like, who cares? And Jen, Jen's like, well, one went out of network and I had, I had to pay a shitload of money on, on, on copay. So it's not, it's not all the same. 
Uh, we've also been talking about gas stations, of course. So Max, to you, I, to you, I say via Jeff S. Rank these gas stations: Sheets, Wawa, or Bucky's. Don't know Bucky's. Bucky's pref- are unbelievable. They're like I, I think they're based in Florida. They're in the South. Huh. Uh, it's almost too big. It's like someone to fix like a really nice, like a nice Walmart to to uh, to a set of gas pumps. It's it's, it's the Publix of. The pubs pretty sub, much it's like stations. it's yeah. like a it's tr- there's a truck stop element it's 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 it f- frankly it's excessive honestly like i it's it's too it's too much too big um nice as it might be um i'm, I'm team pittsburgh though in the the battle of pennsylvania so i'm taking sheets over wawa wow guess what turncoat shit here from me baby <laughs> wawa over sheets the hoagies are better i don't need the goofy Carnival food from Sheets. Also, that is uh, an Altoona based, an Altoona PA based company. It's stolen valor from Western Pennsylvania. What, there was a Wawa in College Park, Maryland that was probably my favorite restaurant from the years 2004 to 2008. Which one would be by State College? Sheets. Okay. Well, I do have some dock sheets. I had after a Michigan Penn State night game that I covered there like six years ago, I had a bounty of sheets driving like an hour and a half to the nearest hotel to state college, Pennsylvania. Uh, and it didn't agree with me. Yeah. That sounds about right. You probably ate something with, you know, fried macaroni and cheese or something, something on it. Probably cross contaminated or whatever. (laughs) It was bad, bad news. Yeah. State college is like the dividing line between Wawa and, and sheets. I think, you know, we can, we can go further into this if we want, but we can do that off mic. Wawa, Pretty good hoagies, pretty good pretzels. Their sandwiches are just generally better. And like I said, I don't need, you know, burgers with mozzarella sticks on them or whatever. <laughs> the shit, the shit, I'm, the shit that she eats. I'm, I'm, I'm not down with that. There's no way I've been to either more than twice. So I'm really just planting the flag for Pittsburgh here. Love it. Thank you, brother. Get go over over sheets as well. That's that that's the true Pittsburgh Pittsburgh city limit move. My uh, my deep dark secret is I just really love Speedway. To be honest, <laughs> dude, it's I biked for a to, lot to, of slushies. To, to all my Pittsburgh area listeners, there's a there's a, a very busy, very large Speedway on uh, on Brownsville Road, Brownsville Road, down, going down to the waterfront that I've been to many many times. Okay, Michael K has a bunch of award suggestions. We'll probably save some of these, Michael. For for our uh, season ending spectacular, whenever Craig, uh, whenever Craig comes back, Max will be a part of this. Shane will be a part of this. We have big plans. Um, I also I wanted to finish up with this one because it's I I feel to blame for this. Max Z, okay, I gotta ask, what does turning into a pumpkin mean, and where does it come from? I've heard it about a zillion times on the Athletic this spring. Eddie F gave a good answer here it's a reference to cinderella's magic carriage which was originally a pumpkin when the clock hits midnight in the story it reverts back into a pumpkin so the phrase is being used to reference something returning to its original slash expected state eddie f that's said better than i could have we need to stop saying this and these go on the list of overdone cliches you guys used uh, to have a band list on this on this day 100 percent. we need to go back and figure out what's on that list folks if you're listening to this 
maybe we repopulate this again and we we bring it in fresh coming in next season or something. I don't know. But turn into a pumpkin music, get on it, galaxy brains on there. Like just stuff like that that, you know, our particular cohort of sports writers have turned into, you know, new new cliches pretty much. And I think I think I think turn into a pumpkin is on the list. So it is a funny one because it's like it, it's it's this like reference, but it's like a, a children's movie. It's as like, old as you're not, it's as you're old not as, impressing it's as, anybody with it. <laughs> no, and it's as old as could be. Like like it's, a, it's the Cinderella movie came out eighty years ago or what or whatever. It's not like not new or edgy or anything. It's just a weird bit of shorthand that you know everybody everybody has adopted. I know me and Dom are particularly guilty on it at times. So I'm going to try to eliminate that because we're here to be better for you, folks. I got an alternative. Mm-hmm. How about instead of like, you know, yeah, they, they had a, they had a chance, but, you know, Bobrovsky turned back into a pumpkin. We go, they had a chance, but, you know, Bobrovsky spent the whole week ziplining. <laughs> Bobrovsky hit the, he was there for the zipline. He, he wasn't was there, there for the, the zipline. He, he, yeah. he wasn't there for the hockey. We're going to leave on that note. That's a great spot to leave it. Max, thanks, buddy. Always. On Wednesday. Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, Michael Russo have the round table where they might be talking about the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights. They might not be. Russo and Granger are both still in the series. Obviously, Jesse went back home to Vegas. Russo followed him. I wonder if those guys want to make the return trip to Florida. I'm going to go on a limb and say that they would rather not. Don't forget to subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at sign the athletic hockey show we thank greg cronin we thank max boltman and we prepare next week for patrick o'sullivan longtime nhl player who has a remarkable story across the board we're going to talk to patrick about a lot of different things next week craig and i so join us then and of course as always happy new year this has been the tuesday boys hashtag tuesday boys threesies Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.